welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabel Graham. Welcome to this episode of The Being Leader, the podcast that discusses how we need to show up and be as leaders, reflecting on what impacts our behaviours, our relationships and our outcomes, and allows us to focus more on our approach to leading ourselves, our teams and our organisations. Joining me today is someone I actually get to spend a fair bit of time with in my working life as we coach teams together. I'd like to welcome Nick Howell, who is an executive coach and owner of Abintus, which he established in 2015. Nick specializes in leadership and coaching development, and in the past five years has trained several hundred managers and senior leaders in coaching and mentoring. He also coaches individuals and teams where he brings focus and challenge to enable personal change and growth. And on top of all of that, he's currently writing a book on coaching questions to help new and established coaches and leaders develop powerful questioning practice and reflection. Nick, so good to have you join me today. Good morning. Yes, welcome. Great to be here. Lovely. Looking forward to this. So before we get started, it would be great if you can just tell the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you ended up doing this coaching thing. Yes, of course. So, so my background is I went to university and I did a teaching degree. Um, and after that, I think formally going to teaching. Um, I then spent six and a half years in the uh, West Midlands Police as, a, as an officer, a driver, and I was also a tutor. And that's where I first got to expose to this concept of mentoring, even though it wasn't called that then. Um, so I, people would go to police college for 10, 12 weeks. They'd, they'd then spend eight, 10 weeks with me putting theory into practice and I was providing feedback and sharing experience and so forth. Um, so after that, I um, took a career break and I left the police um, and I got to work with a company that um, had a 67 foot yacht and they used the yacht as a metaphor for leadership and team building because nothing was electronic on it. So we, everything was manual. Um, so you had to work hard to work as a team and get your leadership um, ideas and um, intent across to these people. And whilst I was there, I got invited, two of us got invited to a, it was a freebie three-day coaching event in Yorkshire where we use experiential activities to develop our coaching skills. Um, and from that moment, I really was hooked. What I saw experience was really quite transformational uh, to my mind. How people's thinking and behaviours could be developed simply by meaningful questions, powerful listening, and developing relationships and really coming to where they were in a situation for themselves. And then on um, my career has been in learning development and each organisation I've been, I've looked to bring in some kind of facet of coaching into it, one-to-one -one coaching, coaching training, coaching qualifications, working with teams, help them to develop a bit more of a coaching mindset, culture and so forth. Um, so now, very much as you, as you alluded to, work with organisations to help develop their leaders and managers to become effective coaches, working with the organizations to offer qualifications in this. So I train, I coach, I supervise these and support them to become really effective coaches in their workplace. Fantastic. And I'll tell you the bit that, that I'd be interested in is why you ended up moving into more coach development, because obviously I, a bit like you, I went on that three day many, many years ago. Um, internally, actually, because the theory was, bizarrely, let's set up a coaching culture in our business. And four of us were initially sent off to be able to do that from an internal coach training. But my focus is then very much working with leaders and with teams and actually doing it rather than training people. So what drew you more into the training people to coach, whether that be managers or um, professional coaches? Yeah, 
So when I worked um, on the yacht doing their leash management training, after that, I joined a company in South Wales and I ran their ILM leadership centre. And so that was a great opportunity for me to bring in coaching to this organisation. So with another colleague, I wrote a three-day uh, programme for them, ran it past ILM. We got it qualified, certified. And in fact, we're the first centre in, in, in Wales, I think, to, to run and have accredited and assessed um, an ILM coaching programme. So that was it for me. Um, so we had several programmes running that. And as I said, kind of every organisation I've been, I've looked at being in some kind of development, informal or informal in that way. So we are going to be talking about a topic today, which is quite close to both our hearts. And, and it actually leads on from the last episode um, of the podcast, which is about culture. And that's about coaching culture. Yes. So I'm sure there'll be lots of people thinking, what is that? So how would you describe coaching culture? Yeah, culture is a word we use a lot um, working in organisation, organisation themselves. But let's put a little bit of flesh on that um, some more. Um, for me, coaching culture is very much one where the behaviours, language, approach and the philosophy of coaching um, and the coaching mechanism itself permeates throughout the organisation. One where the go-to leadership style and management styles in the organisation utilises coaching. One where organisation policies, practices, and reference and promote and enable coaching um, and coaching seems a natural process in how we do things in the organisation. Where perhaps strategies, departmental or organisational strategies, overtly promote the people agenda and within that coaching is an enabler of this. One where relationships are a core part of how we do performance and success in organisations. Um, and how conversation becomes, you know, coaching becomes a conversation point um, from the entirety of the organisation, not just some HR or L&D in that respect, you know, where it's used to outside the organisation a lot more, and we use it to entice people in, because we do coaching, we do mentoring, and you can have automatic access to it when you're in the organisation. And my great analogy for me is a, a stick of rock, a Blackpool rock that you might get from the seaside. No matter where you break that rock, it says Blackpool. So if a coaching culture exists, for me, taking that analogy, no matter where I look in that organisation, I see coaching happening, the language and the behaviours formally and informally, from the exec team to leaders, to frontline employees. It's used throughout to support performance, relationships, development, engagement and motivation. Mm. And it's present everywhere. Mm. And I think there's something that you said there, which was actually going to pick up on a question that I, I was going to ask is, when we're thinking about coaching, are we talking formal? So i.e. somebody is given a coach and works through a programme of sessions to be able to look at their performance? Or actually, is this more the conversational style in which we are leading our people, whether it be teams or individuals? Or is yeah, it I think both? Where you've, got a, where you've got a coaching culture existing, um, I think it's a happy medium of both of them. And I genuinely believe that Formal coaching supports informal coaching, which supports formal coaching that way. Mm. So from a coaching culture perspective, it will be part of our DNA and how we think, behave and approach things conversationally every single day. But there's also great opportunities as well to have formal coaching, formalised approaches, leaders to managers, um, peer to peers, etc. in that way. Mm. Lovely. 
So I'm going to backtrack a bit on on this rather than jump. We, and we've jumped in and said we're going to talk about coaching culture. And I'm conscious we've got a bit of a mixed set of people who, who listen to this. We've got coaches who listen and facilitators who listen, who sort of get this stuff. But also, as I think we both know, going into organisations, when you say the word coaching, um, what it brings up, people think they know what coaching is and really don't. You know, so... When I know when I um, do um, coaching skills workshops for managers, I would say 90 to 95% of them get the definition wrong. So it's probably worth us being really clear on that so that people get what we mean by this. So what, and especially when we've talked about mentoring as well, yes, <laughs> which yes. then confuses the hell out of everybody because they just go, well, isn't it the same thing? It's a big blob. So how would you describe coaching? to the lay person. And I'd absolutely agree with you. Even today, when people come on a workshop to learn about coaching, etc., I hear it from them and I hear it from about their organizations. They have a mixed picture, mixed understanding of what coaching is. Um, they may have had some sporting experiences, which again adds to this, this, this muddle, if you like. So for me, coaching is very much, I go into a conversation and I'm not the expert. They're very much the expert in their area, their environment, their knowledge, their experiences. So my job as a coach and coaching is about enabling and facilitating that their experiences, their, their expertise to bring that out to the fore and for them to solve their own problems, for them to find their ways forward, for them to develop the behaviours, mindsets and approaches from their experiences, which they can take and use every day in their roles. It's not about training. It's not about me giving them skills. It's about bringing what they've got and get a better use of what they've got to their role, to their lives. Yeah, and you, you, you mentioned the thing which always drives me nuts when, when uh, doing workshops, which is that sports coaching. I wish yeah. I just need to call it sports mentoring because that is really what it is. Um, and there's that that dichotomy of uh, I see it as a spectrum, which is what I use very often with people is. If we don't have the skill and knowledge, it's training. That's where we give the input. And it's an absolutely appropriate thing to do, whether it be as a line manager or in, in the training mode. If we've got some skill and knowledge, but we're thinking about how to apply it and actually we need ideas because we're still lacking probably context or application, that's maybe where the mentoring piece comes in. So there's a bit of advice and guidance. But coaching in its purest form is that questioning-led approach, as you said, where they're coming up with their own answers with no input. So our our ideas our opinions as a coach or as a leader who coaches become irrelevant you know it, it's not about us in the nicest possible way and I think that's really the most interesting piece when we start working with leaders and moving towards that coaching culture of you're not important anymore it doesn't matter what you think <laughs> and, and that is you know that's what people find really hard is letting go of self it's not about me and my needs my agenda what's important for me in this moment it's actually about looking to them putting myself in their shoes where are they at where are they coming from what's important to them and how do i bring that out bring that to the surface get them to realize that get them to realize what they can do what their potential is and how do we work together to remove some of those blockers or interferences that stops them from performing and delivering every single day for themselves? Um, often on training, just as you kind of suggested there, 
I'll bring up the three words training, coaching and mentoring and we'll go through it in detail so I can clearly separate out in their heads the differences between them because they are all different. Complementary, absolutely. But very, very different, have different purposes, approaches and requirements in those things. And once they've got that, it starts to really, now I get it. Now I see where they sit and how they work. Yeah, and that, and that distinction and definition, I think, is by far the, the, it's always the starting point of the session for me, for people to understand what this means and why this exactly. means you need to behave differently. Because even where I've had people who've been on coaching workshops before and they come out and they go, I've never quite got it. And you sort of think, oh, but that's the fundamental bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it, and it does make such then that difference because it's recognizing I think it's especially from a leader point of view we wear different hats and different hats are appropriate at different times you know sometimes it's absolutely appropriate for me to be in my manager hat mode of please do this crack on but in other times it's absolutely not appropriate for me to be in that mode but we're so good at telling we, we struggle to move out of it. And, and, and through coaching, all we do now is adding to a manager, a leader, a, co a coach, their, their repertoire of skills and approaches they've got. This directive, command and control, absolutely has a place. But actually, in so many ways, every single day, there are opportunities to be different, to approach people differently, put your own agenda underneath one side and bring their experiences, their ideas their know-how to the fore and capitalise on that. Well, that's very freeing for managers as well because then it creates some capacity. So you don't have to fix things. Or the analogy I heard the other day was the doctor's surgery. You know, people come to your desk every day. They come to the doctor's surgery expecting you to fix it for them. Actually, no. You employ experts with expertise. So your job as a manager, leader, a leader with coaching skills is to bring that expertise to the fore and use it the you, for the team, for the business. And that can be really difficult for, for some, especially where their identity is wound up in that expertise. You know, that I, that is, I am, my, my knowledge as an engineer, my knowledge as a, um, you know, logistics expert or whatever it is, that is who I am. So suddenly mm. saying I'm now a man, I'm, I'm a leader and actually, my knowledge and opinion doesn't matter anymore can be a real challenge from an it is an ego piece but yeah and you're right but by the same token once they realize it, that they start to realize what their role is it becomes very freeing yeah yes they can now spend the time where they should and they need to be spending that time as a leader and manager less in the tactical space more in the strategic space not looking down but looking up and looking forward every single day allowing people to deliver for you, correcting the sales of the ship as you go along, tweaks here and there, but they're in control. They can deliver for you. Yeah, and I think also that it, when people first move into that cross-functional role where you're working more than one or multifunctional role, which is absolutely necessary when we're getting to that key strategic space, is where we're, we're making decisions across a wider, a wider system. You can't have the answers because you don't know anything about it. And, and that's where it becomes a really, really freeing skill to develop. Okay, so we've talked about coaching. We've talked about co that introduction about what coaching culture means around behaviour. So why is it useful to businesses? Why is it, what does it give them? I think you need to look at this different levels as the employee 
leadership and the organizational level. Um, so where a coaching, coaching culture is present, it has far-reaching implications and impact upon employees, teams, and, and the business. Um, if the elements of coaching, be it formal or informal, the philosophy of coaching in place, it can transform people's thinking behaviors. It gives leaders who embrace this way of working the ability to bring out the best from their employees every single day, apply to their work, their deliverables, projects, initiatives, it can be used as well very much around supporting and enabling change projects and other pieces of work that are in place. Bring a different focus, uh, a different energy to them. Coaching culture, it very much will underpin the processes and practices and the ethos around performance management, people development, communication activities. It changes the dynamic between leader and employee the relationships become very, very much more powerful, transparent, open, honest, enhances trust, you know, building empathy and autonomy. You know. And I think another one as well, look at the employee, it brings much more fulfillment to the employee. You know, they're there, they don't just turn up to do a job, they're there and give their best. They want to bring all of they can, all that they can do to their, their role. And getting them to think differently and bring more of their potential to their role brings more fulfillment to them. And when this culture starts to exist, it starts to shift the organization. It shifts it from a, a problem finding to a problem solving mindset and culture. And that's really powerful. That brings success, not problem finding. And it starts to change the, the fundamental nature of how the organization is viewed internally and externally. And if you look at it big picture, it then starts to have a huge impact upon employee retention rates. Now, they will go down. Sorry, they will go up very much. Now, there'll be reduction in performance issues which have to be dealt with formally. Now, employee engagement scores in their teams and the business will go up. It influences relationships with customers and clients as well. Yeah, and I think that's it, it. It can be used in so many different interfaces. So, so what I'm hearing is, you know, there's a, there's obviously an individual impact. So people have got that ability, um, a where they're de developing the skills. There's a skill base enhancement, but also yep. there's a um, engagement piece for how that those employees are being managed. But actually, that it's giving, it's developing a more proactive approach. A it's giving people more autonomy. There's more empowerment in that true sense, rather than, you know, abdication of, of responsibility. Um, and actually there's a mindset shift in there, you know, which, why wouldn't people want that? I think it's so, a mindset shift, just not just in people, but in the organization as well. The organizations are, as a, as a, as a systemic mindset start to shift. Yeah. So, so that sounds lovely all businesses, everyone running an organization sitting going fabulous, let's have some of that then. How does that happen? Um, so yes, how does that happen? What what are, for where you've worked with it and, and where you've seen it be effective, what are those key building blocks that need to be in place to enable that culture? Um, so I think the starting point, gosh, there's so much here that can be done. Um, the chances are that kind of there are thoughts in your organization around coaching and maybe mentoring as well. And um, it may well be from HR or a single senior leader who has some insight into that and wants to start to look at it. 
Um, so I think very much having conversations. What's the conversations happening in the organization already? Speaking to HR and L&D. They will have the experience of it. They'll see the value in it, et cetera. And they will know where they might start to be looking at it or what they're thinking is about it, if you like. Um, but that shouldn't stop, whatever conversation with HR and MD, that shouldn't stop you from starting to have a wider conversation in the organisation, discussing it a little bit more, finding out others who've got experiences in it. Very much getting first-hand experiences is always a winner. You know, look the opportunity to perhaps be coached. What's it like being a coachee? What do you get from it? Or as a coach, getting some kind of initial training in the area will really begin to bring that change for you. Familiarity with the language and behaviors as well as considering the application to you and your teams and the wider business. It doesn't have to be an expensive enterprise in any way, shape, or form, or you could bring someone in to coach a few of you to reduce the cost down further a little bit. So I think a starting point is having that conversation, developing some skills and awareness. Coaching for me is very much like leadership and swimming. You can't learn it from a book. You need to have an experience of it to get the best from it and see where it impacts. You don't have to get a qualification in coaching, although if you're thinking about introducing to your business, I think some kind of qualification will help in terms of gravitas and being seen as more of an expert in the business as well. Taking the experiences you have and applying them straight away to those people who surround you, your teams, etc. Looking to improve their ways of working and start to be seen as different in the organization. You know, if you bring out different results through your coaching and your team, others will start to take notice of that. You then start to got a great platform um, to promote discussion, experience, and opportunities uh, and make the conversation more valid for teams and for organizations. Little about all these things, leadership included, just because you've done some training, it doesn't stop there. So do your reading, do your research. No. Recent case studies, how are other organizations, what have they done to start to develop coaching, develop a coaching culture in their business? You know, take what worked well for them, bring it to yours. If it didn't work well, adapt it and utilize that. And I think finally as well, if you do some training, you build some contacts and networks. So use these contacts and networks. Now, what other contacts and networks are out there as well, LinkedIn and so forth? And, and develop wider knowledge, wider ideas from other organizations and bring that into your own experiences. I think you know, those are some of the basic things we can start to do as an individual to start to have an impact and start to bring to make a difference as well. So, so what I'm hearing from that is, A, there's experience it. So actually understand yes. what coaching is on a receiving end point of view. But then looking at coaching skills and, and thinking about then how we bring that in, in from a team point of view. And then utilize that to sort of create a, a starting point. I'm going, to put so. a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw a spanner from my side, having seen this happen and, and it. Seen it fall on it, fall on its face. So if we think about that, because you said that's what, what can we do as an individual? And I think, I wonder if where I see this wish or will happen sometimes in businesses is you will have three or four, I'm going to say the word evangelist, but I'm, I'm doing that with a very small E. You know, people yeah. who have experienced coaching love it, really think there's a value. 
and and have you and are using it quietly in their world there guerrilla coaching i call it yeah yeah we'll decide to you know we want to create this culture now if it's a small business and i'm when i say small i'm probably talking less than 500 people then actually do you know i i, th I think what you just described that ability for you know a handful or one or two leaders to sort of do that make a difference and be noticed is doable absolutely but having worked in those organizations of five thousand plus <laughs> it's just just one strange person who does something slightly different than nobody ever heard of <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. my challenge um i wonder if in some the larger organization gets is that enough no no it's not enough because it will very much remain a tactical activity. The intent might be there to make it bigger, et cetera, um, but there's not enough kind of interest, notice, buy-in, call it what you're willing to that. So that's kind of the first stage, if you like, and that's very much you kind of, if you want to bring it into your, to your teams, into your local environments. But I think we need to up the ante a little bit if we're looking at bigger organizations, because that's where the change is going to come. You know, um, Coaching, change or a cultural change won't happen from dozen people being trained not at all yes great we'll tick some boxes etc but bringing transformation it won't be and I, I very much believe that if we want to make this bigger we have to see it and it has to be seen as and i use project with a small p it has to be seen as some kind of project because the coaching cultural change is not an overnight activity it's two three four five years down the line especially with a huge organization so we need to treat it as a proper piece of work in its own rights and we also need to see it as not just as well in my view is hr and lnd are great at doing initiatives but we need to see it as not just a hr and lnd initiative we need to get lots of people involved in this from diverse backgrounds and rotate them on a regular basis so it's seen as fresh throughout the years as it goes along now people are more likely to buy into it if it's seen as an organizational initiative one well, just one department in that way I think based on experience as well, having a, a senior leader there as a sponsor is critical, but their role is not a figurehead. They have an active role in this, overtly pushing some kind of people or coaching agenda in the business, especially putting it, pushing it at that senior team level. Many senior leaders will have experienced coaching and they have an executive coach in that way, but translating that experience into bringing a proper mindset and approach to coaching in our business that's a different conversation yeah and i think for me that's that i absolutely agree with you it's it's not just hr and lnd's role and and it's funny i i see this i'm probably you know you and i probably have not dissimilar newsletters from a variety of people because we straddle the well, I, I straddle HR, L&D and coaching and probably to some extent you do as well. So you, you get your info from a variety of sources and um, the whole piece around, you know, L&D's agenda to drive a coaching culture. And you just go, well, yeah, it will be, but then it'll just be something that they do. And, and I've lost count of the amount of businesses I've worked with over the years where we need to develop our people or develop our culture or whatever it may be. But actually, can you just go and do it? And I'll just carry on doing what I was doing before, says the rest of the exec. Yeah. 
And then you're right, it becomes this bandwagon that HR, you know, the HR wider function leads, but it doesn't get bedded. So that's, you know, one of the barriers that it comes up against is it's a done too. And I think the other, as you said, you know, people underestimate how long change takes. Well, change actually is, is easy because I could bring in a, a framework overnight, but it's that transition, transitioning people through this that's, that's the hard part. Yeah. It's let go of the past, our traditional ways of doing things, our language and approaches, et cetera, going through this learning phase, embracing new ideas, approaches. And let's face it, you know, coaching is simple. It's simply about questioning and listening, building relationships. But how much do organisations invest in training people, developing people how to listen, how to ask meaningful questions? They don't. So we have to let go really deep, entrenched habits you know, to embrace simple questioning and listening. I'm I'm laughing because I, I can I can see people <laughs> listening to this going, dear God, if that's all it is, how much have you just charged us to have that coaching session? <laughs> can I add the with skill? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, and 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 it you know it is an, at its root heart in its simplistic form. Yes, there is that, but obviously there's a whole underpinning of frameworks processes psychological understanding i think of an and behavioral piece that that sits alongside it um but absolutely yeah, at its heart it's just asking good questions um which aren't tied up which aren't all about me and me getting you to the answer to the answer that i want not yeah you want yeah, i've been flippant about it but you know like anything maybe we should develop <laughs> or whatever else you know we, we can have structure we can have approaches etc and yes there'll be some tweaking and adaptation of them but they are what they are but it's how we embrace it, how we embed it, how we intertwine it with the rest of the organisation. That's the hard part. So, for example, working with HR on a, this project, you know, how do HR, how do they bring it to all facets of the employee lifecycle? From someone joining through development and leadership through how they exit the business. You know, coaching this coaching philosophy should be embedded in all of those stages and the rest of the policies and processes in the organisation as well. Um, you know, examining organisational strategies. Yes, they'll talk about people development and leadership, etc. But let's build in coaching, coaching mindsets and philosophy in, in that respect. Let's develop a coaching strategy for itself. And so we've got this again. This this word is systemic, interwoven. It's in every facet of the organisation in that way. So that's where it has to be an ongoing, long-term piece, not just HR L&D, but a wider piece with a very overt senior stakeholder who champions this and has an active role in doing it. You know, convincing the board. Convincing the board is not just about doing a presentation for them, which we often experience. Actually, it's about getting someone in and getting to experience it for themselves and see the difference it can make. Have, a, yeah, have an experience of it, sense it. Now I know. Yes, I see the value. Let's do this. And, and I think in that in that time frame is not expecting quick wins. No. Um, you know, if I think about where I've done or been part of really good cultural change, and, and I'm not just talking coaching culture, I'm talking just cultural change full stop, especially where we're in thousands of people. Between two and three years is a minimum, I'd probably say. Yeah, minimum yeah. two, probably three to really make it work properly. 
And and the problem is we get bored as leaders. What? Because you moved on. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's boredom as leaders. It's also as well the magpie effect, the next shiny thing that comes along. Yeah. And that's why, again, we try to remove it away from having HR and L&D involved in it, but not necessarily leading it because otherwise something else will take over or something else will happen in the organisation, which takes our focus away from things, if you like. I think going back to what you just said there, I think short-term wins are important and we can plan for those because we need to get a sense of actually traction and movement in this. And if we have those wins, cost of eight steps, I think, talks about short-term wins very much. You know, it shows we're doing this, but also I say recognising that those aren't the be all and end all. They simply start that engagement process, um, but we need to have more established footholds in the organisation. And that's what takes the time. Yeah, and I think also recognising you mentioned a word which make, brings me out in hives, cotton. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Go a on. very, I'm not a fan. <laughs> There's people here spitting at me. Um, I, 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 I think it's a great theory that doesn't bear out in practicality, but never mind. Um, that's a different day's podcast. So going back to that, that piece around, I think, you know, timeframes and, and practicality, it's, Yes, we can sometimes get quick wins, but actually if we're trying for those, we may drive the wrong behaviors in some cases. And actually the bigger the organization, it's a bit like an ocean liner and you will get to a tipping point. So it's, yes. it, it's maybe looking at those discrete wins within that, that group of people that we're working with to be able to do a bit of point proving to be able to move forward. Um, because, you know, often, if it does take a couple of years, people get, not only do they get distracted by bright, shiny objects, they, I think we get bored as leaders of, of recognizing we've got to keep saying the same thing. And we've got to keep role modeling and, and embedding that behavior because we think we've heard it 10 times, then surely people get it by now. And I think that's sometimes where some of these challenges about making things stick are, is we actually, we don't say it enough. Or we, we stop saying it just when people need that message the most to be able to embed that new way of working because they are still in that transition phase. Yeah, so absolutely. So, yeah, people can get weary of these things. I do wonder sometimes, though, whether coaching is slightly different. In my experience, you know, those people have been through a coaching process, either been trained up or those people have been coached. For, for me, they have an experience of that it starts to shift and changes things for them and they want to be part of it. They want some more of that. So it's quite addictive in that way. Um, so when it comes to kind of making long-term changes, absolutely. It's not always having to about repeat the message. That's part of it. But I think coaching is different because people want to keep experiencing this. It's, they want to keep trying things and bringing things more, getting things, more things out for them in that way. Yeah, I see where you're coming from on that. Um, I think it's that wider embedding piece was yes. more where I was coming at it, of recognising that, you know, there's a shift. If we're trying to make this a embedded practice, not only is it in the conversations that we're having, it's in the way that we're approaching it through all of our touch points of working with our employees. And that's where some of that can be a real challenge. Yes. Because that's where that's more likely to hit resistance. Yeah, I'll go with that. Absolutely. So 
So maybe I'm that senior leader or that HR stroke L&D person or team who say, right, actually, we really think this has got legs and we've got a degree of appetite in putting this into our business. What steps do they need to go through? If we were going to do this successfully, not just from an individual point of view, which we talked about slightly earlier, but from an organisational perspective to really make this stick, what type of steps would they need to be going through to make that? Um, I think, and again, going back to the, the project word, I think it's getting a group of like-minded people around, not just like coaching, but people who are passionate about people development and, and the people agenda in the organisation. And that should be from all levels in the business, not just senior managers, not just experts, et cetera, but from everybody. I think as well also as what can be useful, it's not a requirement, but is, is having access to somebody, maybe an ex external expert in this, who can work with them just to help that sh help shape that framework, help start to put some of those steps in or the phases to it. So then they've got something a bit more solid to work with and they can start then to fill in the gaps and what that translate that to their own organization. That external, that expert doesn't have to be there for the duration. They can just work with them initially to get it going, moving along, and then they can have touch points with them as and when required in that, in that respect. Um, treating it very like, much like a project and just starting to see where, one thing as a separate piece, where we can start to integrate it naturally into the business, tying it into the employee life cycle, tying into projects and interventions and so forth, as well as training people up in that way. So I think that, that for me would be very much kind of one of the starting points is let's start the conversation. What does it look like? And have a vision as well. Now that end point that we, we want to see from our organization, and that will keep me on track as well in that, in that way. I think that for me would become some of the starting points. Okay. So you know, as part of that, it would, I'm assuming we would be making sure that we're training our managers in coaching skills. So they've got that ability to have those conversations and thinking about the type of conversations they're having. Yes. And I think kind of adding on to that, we're very, we can be good. Organizations can be good at building in coaching into leadership programs. Um, often it's a half day, which doesn't really do it justice. But I think <laughs> it's a waste of time. Let's just put it out there. It's a waste of time. <laughs> But I think another one of the biggest ways is one just building coaching into the development of our leaders and managers so they learn how to do it. Let's apply some coaching to those people going through that leadership program. So they have an experience of it. They know what it looks and feels like for them. It starts to bring real change for them. And they build upon that from their development program and apply it to the workplace. I think just training someone to do it only gives half the picture, half the experience. You know, and, you know, it may well be that external coaching um, for them is about how they become more of a coach. But it could be more about actually how they start to transform their whole approach as leaders in the organisation. But that development and also developing them through coaching, I feel, is really important. So does at some point when we're looking at that culture, developing our own internal coaches rather than external coaches become part of that and i'm conscious that's doing us out of a job yeah but, <laughs> so, no, but actually for a little organization it's maybe not cost effective but the bigger the organization becomes it absolutely is 
I, I, absolutely. I, I firm believe that we, we should become self-sufficient in these things. I think having some external input initially, let's get what understand what core practices, best practices when it comes to coaching and mentoring for that matter. Let's instill that so that can then start to be replicated in the organization. You know, again, it doesn't have to be L&D that can do that. Let's train up other people who can then train others in, in the business in that way. Um, but I do think that they, they some kind of whether people go on a course outside or you bring someone in, that is critical part of the foundation. We know what we're doing is right and we're doing it well. It's quality in what we're doing rather than just, I've read it from a book, this I think is what we should be doing. So what are the pitfalls of doing this? What stops it happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I've that's like how, 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 how long is a piece of string. <laughs> yeah. I think we've alluded to some of these already. I think the first off is, is let's acknowledge that this is not going to be a quick piece. We've touched on it. It's, it's at least two to three years. It started to bring... Know, some kind of shift in thinking of behaviors and the culture i think we've also alluded to as well let's get a clear understanding of what coaching is and how it works so many organizations still see it's just a purely remedial activity you know, let's be honest as well the coaching bodies out there haven't been the best as well they've all got a different different definition of what it is so there's not any unity on that either also recognize as well that some organizations, maybe your organization, is not ready for it. It's not saying it won't be in the future, but you're not ripe for it. Maybe very traditional in its approach, maybe very much command and control is, or directive is the go-to approach in that way. So it's not saying you can't, but it's going to take a bigger shift and a longer shift to achieve that. It requires senior team, not just buy-in, but engagement in the process. And they need to be seen as embracing and living this. Employees aren't stupid. They know when their senior leaders are just paying lip service to something. So you need to live and breathe it. And that's the, one of the key roles of the senior sponsor. It's not just being a figurehead, but actively engage and bring senior managers and leaders into this process as well. Um, Project team. Project teams become stale. We, we all know that. So rotating people, giving people different experiences and adding to that. And those people who leave the project, they're already coaching converts. So great, they can start to be change agents in the wider organization. Recognize too that not everybody will embrace it. And, and that's okay. Some people don't want to embrace it now, um, but they'll change. Some people may not fully get there and we have to acknowledge that. Um, we can approach that perhaps differently later on. Um, then it becomes, if as an organization, we have coaching in our heart, but like some people aren't doing it, maybe that's then a performance issue, but that's a very much a different conversation. Um, I think we also need to make people accountable as well. If we're introducing this, developing people, new skills, new behaviors, etc. Let's reward, inverted commas, people who are doing it well and acknowledge it. But where people should be doing it and they're not doing it, let's hold them to account over that. Because as we said at the start, coaching is not about me as a leader, it's about my people. So if I'm not doing something, I'm not doing it for my people. And I think as well, if we don't build it into the very tenets of who we are as an organization, it won't stick. There's no reason for it to stick. It still remains this very much transactional activity. So those policies, those, um, those practices, the employee life cycle, the strategies and so forth, once it's there, it's very difficult to let go of it in that way. So we have to do something with it and for it to make it real for the organization. So I think from the, some of the headline ones, those might be some of the kind of 
pitfalls, if you like. As well, if we don't select our people right who we want to develop as coach initially, we're going to waste a lot of time, energy, and money, money if they drop off that. So we need to be quite selective, not the usual suspects, but really kind of go through almost a recruitment process in terms of who we want to recruit from a coaching, but as an organizational perspective, start to be these figureheads, these lights in our organization who start to bring localized change. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because if I think about if I think about some of the organizations I've worked with where we've ended up with really good coaching advocates mm. who have a had a taster but then gone and done something about it themselves maybe where the organization hasn't been pushing it at each point it's never been the most senior person and it's never been those people in probably potentially quite influential roles it's been yeah. people lower down where they've just probably personally has made a real light bulb difference for them but it's transformed their approach their conversations and what they do you know Definitely. to the point that you can see it in how they question, um, how they work with their teams. Um, you know, I remember one organization, I actually ended up bringing somebody back and they'd co-facilitate with me just for the fact that actually, do you know what? You know this, you care about it, you're passionate about it. You've gone and done this outside the business. So why not have you support the, the program? You know, you get, you get something out of it and they see you internally as go-to person. Yeah. So I think uh, the right person is absolutely key. Yeah, very much. I'm very much reminded of kind of things. Um, Randolph Fiennes, he talked about. Look, on my expeditions, I don't want necessarily. I don't necessarily need people who who either ski or mountaineer, etc. I need people who are motivated. I can teach skiing. I can teach mountaineering all day long. But it's that motivation, that engagement. I can't do that. So that's what I should be looking for in my people. Like those influencers, those people who build relationships. Who, who you know bring people along with them those are the people i want to start to have my change agents within the business okay so we've we've worked around lots of different approaches both sort of a formal and an individual route that we can talk to to bring in a more coaching approach and coaching culture if if i'm listening to this today and thinking about okay i want to start moving this agenda forward myself um, as a leader or within my organization, what are probably those two or three first steps that it's worth me taking to move forward? Yeah, I'm going to take a liberty, I think, with your two and three. I think, first of all, do your, do your research and have a conversation. Start the conversation. Get yourself access to some training, whether it's a one day or two day, whatever. Right? Practice and play with this. You need to bring it to life and become comfortable with it. You then got to start to be seen as you're making a difference. Once trained, sort of volunteer your services in the business, in your team, and so forth. And although we've been talking about coaching culture, primarily in the context of an organisation here, we're also talking about in your teams. And you may not be in what's a growth mindset. I may not be able to do anything yet. To start in the organisation, to start with your team, you know, and have an impact with them. You know, be vocal. If you believe in this, it's starting to make a difference. Then keep at it. I do have a philosophy which not everybody agrees with, but I, and it's a bit of a mantra I share with people. Look, business will tell you what you can't do, never what you can do. So keep doing it or start doing it and keep doing it until you're told to stop. The chances are, though, if you're making a difference, you're never going to be told to stop. So that would be kind of my, my takeaways. Just pick it up and run with it if you're passionate about it. 
Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the uh, ask forgiveness rather than permission, Mark. Yes. Um, I think there's, a, I suppose I, I'll put one add on as well and go, if you were very much a, a tell me or I'll tell you manager, please God tell your people, you're going to ask them lots of questions. Otherwise I think that you're going to have had a personality transplant. <laughs> yes, is that always that old thing when people come back off training courses and it we're kind of, oh, come, give them a, Steve's back off his course, give them a pill, they'll be back to normal in two days. Exactly. Well, actually, no, we now need to start creating a different conversation, a different agenda around this telling people about what you've done, why you're doing it, the impact it can have, and start selling this. Another little story is um, I um, went to see many years ago, Monty Roberts, and he's the knows the Hortus for Robert Redford played him in the film. I'll never forget his opening lines. He said, I never get the horse to do what I want it to. I always get the horse to want to do what I want it to. So how can you get your people to want to buy into this? So it might become a, a sales pitch to some extent, but you can do it because it's a value and it will make a difference. Absolutely. And, and you're right. It is about saying I've been on a course I want to try because and, it, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, they, they will think and pray you're back to normal soon. But at least it helps me understand why you're being different. Yeah. And and then I go on the journey with you. So and once they expand that difference, they understand, once they understand that difference, yeah. they've experienced it. They see the value for them in it. Yeah. You know, as I said before, it can become quite addictive. They want some more of it because they're learning for themselves. They're being fulfilled in themselves. And that's mm -hmm. one of our most important jobs as a leader in managing organisations. Yeah, absolutely. So, Nick, thank you for joining me today. Um, thank you. It's been if, great. If people are listening and want to find out more about you, where can they um, find you? Yes. So, um, please look on my website, probably the best place to start with. Um, and that's www.abintus.co.uk. Lovely. Thank you. And and we mentioned at the beginning that you're writing a book. So when can we expect that? So um, I had a conversation with my um, my editor yesterday, no, yesterday on Friday, and um, it's going for its first proof. Um, and then we'll do the cover and so forth. So, yeah, so it's really just a book on... Going back to what I said earlier, that we're not really training questions. So it's really a compendium of coaching questions just to pick up, put down as a new coach, as a, an established coach, just to learn and reflect upon your whole approach to asking questions and develop them, become stronger in that for yourself, mm -hmm. for your employees and, and for your wider team. Exciting. Look forward to seeing it out because you're right. <laughs> that, that what questions do I ask is always one of those first questions as a coach. So, look, thank you for joining me today. And, hopefully that's given people a taster of, of what they can do to bring coaching into their businesses. Definitely. Hope it uh, makes sense and just play with it and try it and see what happens. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 